last night and this morning, uh, Donald uh, took us into this next step of uh, the unfolding of what we've been sharing with you, moving from where we began with uh, cultivating samadhi and then reminding you of these three ways of seeing that we went over as well, this anicca, dukkha, and anatta. And then, uh, and then him, him sharing these reflections and really moving us into this practice around what we're calling basically awakened awareness. And this evening, what I'd like to do is to uh, share with you some more reflections and more about this practice that's moving, you could say, towards this awakened awareness or opening up to it. And again, um, in this theme of seeing the Buddha as a poet, <laughs> I'm trying to give birth to the poetic Buddha to complement the scientific Buddha. <laughs> uh, let's begin with a poem. And the name of this poem is The Little Duck by Donald Babcock. He begins... Now we are ready to look at something pretty special. It's a duck riding the ocean a hundred feet above, beyond the surf. No, it isn't a gull. A gull always has a ruckus touch about her. This is some sort of a duck, and she cuddles into the swells. She isn't cold, and she isn't thinking things over. There is a big heaving in the Atlantic, and she is a part of it. She looks a bit like a Mandarin, or the Buddha meditating under the Bodhi tree, but she has hardly enough above the eyes to be a philosopher. She has poise, however, which is what philosophers must have. She can rest while the Atlantic heaves, because she rests in the Atlantic. Probably she doesn't know how large the ocean is, and neither do you. But she realizes it. And what does she do, I ask you? She sits down in it. She reposes in it as if it were an infinity, which it is. That is religion, and the duck has it. She has made herself a part of the boundless by easing herself into it just where it touches her. To me, this, this uh, curiosity about awakened awareness is just about this, just really what this little duck is doing. And I so appreciate this ending description, right? She's, she's made herself a part of the boundless by easing herself into, into it, just right where the ocean touches her. Right? right where it touches her. This touching the boundless, this touching the infinite. And, and also this, this nuance that the poet brings out. Right? She probably doesn't know how lar large the ocean is. 
but she realizes it. There's a realization of something that she can't even know. In many ways, I think this is what this uh, practice of touching this, this, this nature of awareness is about. We might not know what it is. We might never know, be able to know what it is to be aware, to be present. But we can ease into it. We can, we can touch into it. We can, we can feel that boundless quality just where it touches us. And, and really that's sort of the way I'd like to, to frame these reflections tonight is, is this, this practice of just easing, easing into the boundless, easing into it just right where it touches you. And, and I want to point out it's, uh, uh, you know, simply being aware or simply being present, easing ourselves into this boundless quality of awareness. It is such a mystery. Isn't it such an amazing and mysterious thing that here all of us are, we're on this teeny little planet in the middle of this vast universe, and here's this, this, we're partaking of this quality of presence. Here it is. I find that in and of itself such a, such a wonder. Don't you think? I mean, still there hasn't been, been found any other planet so far. Maybe there are planets out there, but we don't know where this exploration of presence is, is taking place. And for me, th- this is really where the juice is for my practice. This is, this is what makes this path so compelling to me and so alive for me, is just, just the opportunity to touch what it is to be present, to rest in presence. Quite honestly, if my life got worse as a result of doing retreats, I actually wouldn't stop it <laughs> because of this, because I, I, I feel pulled by, by this curiosity about what it is to be present. And in some ways, I find that a relief. That in, in, in some ways, when I start to touch into this, I think the, the whole even thought of, is my life getting better or worse, drops away. There's something else going on here. And again, maybe just like the little duck, I can't understand it, but there's a way to realize that. What a cool thing to touch, even if it's for a moment, or at least to even become curious about. And I want to point out, as you probably noticed, just as Donald and I start to enter into talking about it, or when uh, Donald was speaking last night and this morning, it's such a tricky arena to talk about. Because just as in the poem, we're, we're trying to bring words to something that's so difficult to bring words to. We're trying to offer you some understanding that actually you can't understand. So it's really quite, uh, quite challenging in this, in this way. Uh, the Zen master Dayo Kokushi, who's actually one of the uh, significant Zen master in the Rinzai uh, Zen lineage, put it well in a kind of, in the irreverent way that Zen likes to talk about this path <laughs> and about the Buddha. He says, wishing to entice the blind, the Buddha has playfully let words escape his golden mouth. 
Heaven and earth are ever since filled with entangling briars. <laughs> so, if when the Buddha opened his mouth with words, and now heaven and earth are filled with entangling briars, I can't imagine what's going to happen when I share this with you. <laughs> so that's, that, that, that's my warning. <laughs> So good luck. <laughs> and it, it really is uh, tricky because a lot of times, uh, you know, language can be helpful to help elucidate or clarify something, but it can also mislead in some way. Actually, uh, uh, Gregory of Nyssa, this, this uh, Christian mystic, put it well. He says, when we give a thing a name, we imagine we've got a hold of it. We imagine that we've got hold of being. Perhaps we should do better not to flatter ourselves too soon that we can name God. So it's the same way around this. You know, I'll be offering you words and images and things like that, hopefully to steer us in, the, in, in, in a direction that's helpful. But there's always going to be a, a part that can be sometimes misleading in some kind of way. You know, something might be illuminated and something might be darkened as a result of it. And I, I think one way to get at uh, what I'll be speaking about tonight is just an invitation to listen to this talk a little bit differently, at least parts of it. It reminds me uh, what the Zen master uh, used to say that I uh, practiced with when he would give his Dharma talks, his Teisho. He says, you know, when I give Tasha, when I give Dharma talk, you need to, the reason that you don't understand is because you need to listen with your belly button. <laughs> I always really like that. <laughs> your belly button. Of course, he was talking about the hara, the dantian. But uh, there's something so descriptive about the belly button. <laughs> so, so I invite you to have that sense of what it's like to listen um, a little bit uh, uh, more deeply, in a sense, with the hara rather than with your head. And in order to help, you know, explore this together with you, I want to uh, use a passage from uh, one of the suttas, the Kivata Sutta, which is in the the long discourses. It's the eleventh discourse there. And I'd actually like to set it up by just sharing with you the story that that's behind um, a little of this uh, elucidation of this awakened awareness. And it's a story that the uh, Buddha tells to Kevata. And he said, uh, probably said something like, once upon a time, Kevata, there was this monk. And he had this, um, this question uh, in his mind that he really wanted an answer to. And the question was, where do the four great elements cease without remainder? So how do we, first of all, understand this question and how do we put it into our practice, you know, understand it in terms of our practice? So the four great elements are kind of the fundamental building blocks, you could say, of our experience. So he's basically asking, where does, where does experience cease? Where does it stop without remainder? And this comes from sometimes an understanding that where freedom is on this path is when experience stops 
when it's no longer happening, then there's no longer any dukkha. So this is what he's curious about, is where does it end? Where do the four great elements end? Where do they cease without remainder? So he has this question. And so what he does, I think through his psychic powers probably, he goes into the realm, all these different realms of the deities. And so he goes, for example, to the realm of the deities called the, the four great kings. And he asks, so uh, great ones, where do the four, these four great elements cease without remainder? And I say, you know, we have no idea. What we suggest you do is you go see the gods of the 33 because they are higher, they're more sublime than we are. So you should go ask them. So he goes to the gods of the 33. Can you please tell me, where do the four great elements cease without remainder? And they're like, no idea. <laughs> Don't know. But there's a, a deity realm that's higher than us and more sublime. And there you'll find Saka, the ruler of the gods. And I would ask him. So again, he goes to Saka asking them, where do the four great elements cease without remainder? And you probably start to get the, the picture here, right? I have no idea. And so he's going through these different realms of um, the deities. And finally, one realm of the de deities says, um, you should ask Brahma, the great Brahma, the conqueror, the, all, the unconquered, the all-seeing, all-powerful, the sovereign Lord, the maker, creator, chief, appointer, and ruler, father of all that has been and shall be. He is higher and more sublime than all of us. So that's what he does. He goes and meets Brahma. And he asks Brahma, please, please, Kansar, tell me, where do the four great elements cease without remainder? And Brahma says, I, monk, am Brahma, the great Brahma, the conqueror, the unconquered, the all-seeing, all-powerful, father of all that has been, been and shall be. And he probably says, that's great, but I'm wondering, can you tell me, where do the four great elements cease without remainder? <laughs> and Brahma says again, I'm Brahma, the great Brahma, the conqueror, the unconquered, <laughs> father of all that has been and shall be. <laughs> and you have to imagine there's all these deities watching this conversation. And he's like, I totally get it, but I really just want the answer to my question. <laughs> so after Brahma says this a few more times, it said that Brahma takes the monk by the arm and leads him off to the side and basically says, you know what? I have no idea, <laughs> but I really don't want all the deities to know that I'm not all-knowing. So what I suggest is actually you go down and ask the Buddha this question. So then, after doing all this, he goes and asks the Buddha. And uh, he gets down to the Buddha, and it's interesting. Uh, how the Buddha answers them. And he basically says, you know what? That's the wrong question. And this is, this is actually really important, which I think is, is very interesting. He says, it's, it's not where the four great elements cease without remainder. It's where they find no footing. So this is important because sometimes the way we read, I think, uh, Buddhism 
And the idea of samsara is that we're supposed to have samsara, this world of samsara stop, and then it's all over. But he's saying something a little more subtle than that. It's, it's where, where are we not entangled with experience? That experience still might unfold, but there's not an entanglement with it. So this is, this is really important to understand. So he's actually changing the question that actually it's the wrong question. He says, now the answer to that question, he says, is this, which is very interesting. And, and I think uh, Donald referred to this uh, yesterday. He says, it is consciousness without feature, without end, that is lucid all around. This is, this is where the four great elements have no footing. What does he mean by this? How does this fit with awakened awareness? And really what I think he's referring to, this consciousness without feature, without end, that's lucid all around, is him referring to this awakened awareness that, that, that Donald and I are, are, are trying to uh, invite us to get a taste of in some kind of manner. And I actually want to go through the Pali with you and to go through each one of them to, for us to get it, not so that you learn all this Pali, but in order to get a feeling sense of these different characteristics of this kind of consciousness, because it's, I think it's going to fit into what we're exploring here. So we have uh, Vijnanam, which is uh, the Pali usually for consciousness. The second quality is Anadasanam which I'll give uh, 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 back to. A, in, in some ways, it's, it's uh, the undescribable. Anantam. And then this last phrase, sabato pabam. And I want to go through this uh, part by part and to get a, hopefully a feeling sense of this. So I just want to start with vinyanam, vinyana. So it's this awareness, this consciousness. And what I want to point out about this of what we're, we're inviting us to get a taste of is I think the important thing to, to recognize that what we're describing is something that's so immediate, that's happening right now. Right? Can you hear the sound of my voice? Voila, there's presence. So it's not something far off. It's, it's closer even than your breath. It's, it's immediately right here. So if you can hear my voice, then right there, there's, there's, there's the possibility of touching this. And the immediacy is, is something that's very important to get a sense of. And I think that's what we can get a sense of for, from this first word, vinyana, is that there's this presence that's happening right now, and we don't have to go looking for it. And if you can hear the sound of my voice, how much effort does it take to hear the sound of my voice right now? Not much I just want to check in. Maybe it's taking a lot of effort. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> you never know. <laughs> if it's not taking much effort, there we go. Voila, it's, it's, it's immediate right here. And sometimes there, there's so much freedom in just getting the sense of how close this is of what we're talking about. And uh, again, to rely on uh, the Zen tradition around this. There's a Zen koan. This, is, this comes from a collection of koans from the Mumon Khan. It's the, it's the 10th. Uh, case in there and it's about this monk Seize and he goes to the Zen master Sozon and uh, he says uh, master I feel so poor and destitute 
And I think really what he's talking about is, I've been trying to do this practice about awakened awareness, and I don't get it. I feel like it's so far away. I can't get it. And in, in good Zen fashion, the, uh, the Zen master emphatically says, Seize. And Seize says, Yes. And he says, Oh, right there, right there. Don't you see, right there, you've, you've drank in th- three cups of the finest wine in China. And still, you don't see that your lips are moistened by it. Of course, a little irreverence for the precepts, the way Zen is. <laughs> <laughs> But what is he pointing? Oh, Seize, it's happening right here. When you're able to answer me, it's so immediate. The riches, the, the, the fullness of the flavor of awakened awareness is right now. Can you touch that just right now in, in, in just the activity of hearing? It's so immediate. And also what I want to point out, do you see you don't have to do anything? And that's what makes this so tricky is we're trying to invite you to get a taste of something that you don't have to do anything about. And once you do something about it, you are so far away. <laughs> Again, I think this is in the Mumon Khan. Another analogy they say, they say is that the lychee fruit, the lychee fruit right now in this moment as I'm speaking to you, it's peeled and placed in your mouth. All you need to do is swallow it. It's that close. So here's this presence. We're not talking about anything magical or special or far away. It's just right now. It's so immediate. And once I look for it, I've missed it because it's so immediate. Uh, the Venerable uh, Ajahn Sumedho gives a, a great analogy for the immediacy of this and what we do around this that complicates it. He says, it's kind of like you're sitting here and you're trying to see your own eyes. Have you tried to do that? If you try to really like quickly move your, your head. <laughs> You're trying to do that? You, you can give it a try if you want for the experiential piece of this Dharma talk. <laughs> you just, no matter how quickly you move your head, you can see I've just tried it. You're not going to see your eyes. And that's what makes this practice so difficult, this awakened awareness, is that I'm always trying to move my head. I'm always trying to find it somewhere. Okay, so now I feel the breath and... And, and Donald was saying it's kind of in the foreground. Now, now I allow it to be in the background. And now I'll allow the awareness to be in the foreground. And then I'll see it. Jesus, some of you try that? <laughs> Voila. It's trying like seeing your own eyes. But right now you have a sense that your eyes are working. So you don't need to turn around and look and, and see your eyes itself, but you have a sense of it. Just right now as you hear the sound of my voice, there's a sense of presence. So don't go anywhere. There's, there's no need to go anywhere. And do you realize you don't really have to be meditating right now to realize there's a sense of presence? Really what's more essential than the kind of meditation is not being distracted. Just, just being here for what's happening right now. That's why they say this is a, can be a very misleading quote but I think it's useful. Sometimes the instruction is given in at least the Tibetan tradition. Don't meditate and don't be distracted. Just that. Because sometimes when I get into meditation, I'm I'm starting to look for my own eyes. And again, can you get a sense just of how easy it is just to sit here and get a sense of presence? Can you get of that? 
you get that sense. Not doing anything. We're just hanging out. You're hearing the sound of my voice come and go. You're sitting there in the chair. Voila. No need to do anything special whatsoever. Right? Your, your lips are already moistened with it. The lychee fruit is already there in your mouth. So that's the vinyana. So the second word, anadasanam. Uh, a lot of times it's, it's spoke about as without feature or non-manifestive. So anadasana, it comes from the, uh, uh, this verb, um, nadasati, which means to point at or to define. So you could say... Uh, Nadasati is about, and, and I, I think also there's a noun around it where you could say that there's, you know, something there. So another place that the Buddha uses this word anadasana in a different sutta is in a very, uh, in, I want to share this with you because I think it gives a visual to it. He asked uh, the practice, his, his uh, Monks, a, a, a question. He says, "Suppose, practitioners, that a person comes with with uh, colors like crimson and turmeric and indigo or carmine, right? Let's say with with these colored paints, and they say, I shall draw pictures and make pictures appear on the sky. What do you think, practitioners? Could that person draw pictures and make pictures appear there?" And then the the monks reply. No, venerable sir. <laughs> it's pretty easy. If you're going to try to draw pictures on the sky, it's not going to work. The sky, venerable sir, is immaterial, and it's anadasanam. It's non-manifestive. There's nothing there I can paint on. So this is what anadasana is. It means like, oh, there's nothing there I can paint on. There's nothing there I can find. This is not a thing. I can't really point to it. And so th- this is where uh, uh, you could say this awaken- awakened awareness is like space. It has this similar feature of like space of I can't point to it. And so this is, this is important to see that we're talking how awakened awareness is like space. It, not, it, it isn't space. So sometimes a gateway into this is getting a spacious sense of awareness. But spaciousness is different than awareness itself. So for example, right now when you're hearing the sound of my voice come and go, there might be an openness to it, but there's sometimes a spacious quality to it, but sometimes not. That's just a quality, right? But it's like space because we can't point to it, we can't find it. So here we go, it's not a thing in some kind of manner. So let's go a little bit deeper of this to see if actually we can get some kind of taste of this. Which is tricky, right? So here we're not, not going to try to get a taste of something that's not something. <laughs> yeah, I know. Good luck with this one, right? So wh- what this is, is intertwined with is that um, in some ways, one of the, uh, this is tricky, one of the things that we get about the sense of presence is that, right, it's so immediate right now. You can hear the sound of my voice right now. It doesn't take any effort. It's so immediate. 
but you might notice that we can't find it. We can't find a place for it. So let's check this out right now in, the, in this sense. And when I invite you to explore this right now in this moment, I'm talking about what, what's called the first, the first person experience, which means our subjective or our immediate experience. So a third person perspective would be more like this objective kind of uh, view of the, the, the view that science is trying to take of, of what's exactly going on here. But we're more talking about what's the subjective experience right now of awareness. So as you're aware, maybe visually, let's say you're seeing the statues up here. Is there anything in your immediate experience right now? And really, I'm really curious if you do have a sense of this that tells you that your awareness is, is, is closer to you or over here near the statue. Now, now there's a sense that you have the eyes that, that see that, but in terms of awareness itself, where is it? Is it, is it? is it closer to you or closer to the statue? Or is it in between? Can you find exactly where, where awareness is? Is there anything in your experience that's telling you, just in this moment, as you're seeing me or the statue, where it is, just in terms of your immediate experience. So what in your experience is saying that? So, because that's a thought, right? I have a thought that's in my head, but what about my, when I'm seeing something, it doesn't seem like, it, because that's just a sensation. Is there anything that gives me the sense that, oh, it's right here in my head? That's what I've been told by science, right? We've all been told that. But in terms of what's going on right now, is there anything that says it's actually here and not out there? Does, does this make sense? What? Or is it anywhere? Yeah. Non-local. What? It's non-local. Non-local. It doesn't seem to have a locality to it. Yeah. And, and I do want to acknowledge, we've been told this. We've been told that it's in our heads in some kind of manner. But I'm more curious about just what's going on right now. Can you get a sense of that? that it, it doesn't feel like it has a place like I could, uh, it could, could be over there, it could be in between, it could be over here. Whereas this, this has a place. Where is this? It's, it's right in my hand right here, right? Is it over there next to you? No. And can you see that this has a quality of location to it? Do you see the difference here? Just as we're hanging out here, that this has a different quality to it than awareness. And that's why I'm talking about just what's going on right now. So, 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 and I want to say that there's validity. That would be the third person perspective. Let's do an experiment and see what happens and then uh, uh, do that. But I'm just talking about what's going on right now. And so what's very important for this is I'm not making a metaphysical claim or I'm not even saying that this is somehow, I don't even want to say it's factually true. I'm more curious about what experience feels like right now. So this is tricky, and this is why, I'll be honest with you, this is why I wanted to invoke the poetic Buddha rather than the scientific Buddha. Because there's something we can learn from this, the poetic Buddha that we're never going to learn from the scientific Buddha. And the scientific Buddha might mislead us. So I'm just inviting you to be just a little bit leery about the scientific Buddha. The scientific Buddha is a really cool guy. I'm totally into him. I really am, and I, I mean that. But I think, I think I can also learn something from the poetic Buddha. But it's tricky because, you know, we love facts. 
We really do. And we like research and, and we want things to be so factual, but sometimes I might miss something if I demand the world to be fact, factually accurate. It's like then I have to throw out the whole world of like um, fictional literature. Wouldn't that be a tragedy? It's more basic than that. I'm asking, where is awareness right now? Because I'm just asking, where is the clock right now? And you can locate that, right? It's up here. And I can move it over here, and you can see that one of the characteristics of the clock is that it has a quality of location to it. The bell's down here. But, but awareness doesn't seem, just in terms of our immediate experience, it doesn't seem to have that characteristic of location. That's all. And can you get a sense of that just when we're hanging out here? It seems like it feels like it's located here because things that I can't see that are somewhere else, someone else can be aware of. But my awareness of that is here. But do you see how that's a thought? You're thinking about it rather than, I'm just asking you what's going on right now. Because I'm thinking what can other people see, but all of a sudden I'm in, in thought. Just, just the immediacy of the, the, the sound of my voice. And so when it feels like it's here, actually all I feel is actually sensation. And that has a location. So this is tricky because we do, we start to think about it and I'm just curious about now. What, 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 what's going on right now? Did you? Yeah, exactly. You have a felt sense of it, and it can feel like it's in me. And so, what I'm and of you. And so, what I'm inviting you to do is to become curious about that. Because when I become curious about it, what I notice is that what feels like it's in me is sensation. But but there's nothing that, for me at least, that says that it's more here than here. The reason for me it feels like it's more here is because I associate awareness with sensation. But that's just another experience. That's just a yet another thing I'm aware of. It's another object of awareness. So, so I, it's an invitation to question that. But, but I, I hear what you're saying. It has a sense of that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Look like you're aware right now. You can hear my voice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And what I invite you to do is to continue to check out that felt sense of it and what you notice. And at times you might notice that it has a different flavor than this clock having a location. And, and if, if you come up with something different than this, I think that's so great. Because what I'm more curious about is, is just to shake things up. Maybe just one more thing, and then I want to continue here. Friend, friend. It's like asking the question, where are you located? Are you in that object on top of the 
where. Yeah. And that that is sometimes another gateway because it can dismantle the sense of location in some kind of manner. Yeah. Okay. So now we got that. Nice. <laughs> Let's move on. Phew. That's the easy part, right? <laughs> got a sense that's got no location. It's not a thing. We're doing good. So anadasanam, it's, you can't point at it. It's not a thing. It, it doesn't seem to have the characteristic of location. Okay, vinyanam, it's so immediate. It's awareness. It's presence. It's just happening right now as you hear the sound of my voice coming and going. Again, anadasanam. But, but it doesn't seem like you can find it. And that's, that's an insight to see that you the unfindability of it. And it's not like, again, it's so immediate. And then this, this third quality, anattam. <laughs> a lot of times, uh, it's, it's defined as endless or limitless. Or actually, I like the Tibetan phrase that fits with this, that it's unconfined in capacity. It's not, it doesn't seem like it's limited by anything. So I want to take a little bit different tact on this to give a, to point out a different flavor. And, and uh, I think Donald referred to this and then uh, to point out some things. I'm trying to think which direction to go in with this. Sometimes in our practice, sometimes what we can get is, and this, when this samadhi can help really uh, quite a bit for this. When the mind is a bit more stable, and so then when the mind isn't distracted, there can be a sense that uh, uh, experience moves through awareness. And I'm speaking again poetically here, but it's not colored by awareness. It's not colored by what's going through it. So you know, just like the sky, you know, a, a storm cloud goes through the sky, but it, it's not affecting the sky. It just moves through the sky. You know, a wispy cloud goes through the sky, but it doesn't affect the sky. So it's not affected by that. And the way we can sometimes get a taste of that in our meditation is to, to notice that there's, there's um, and sometimes this can be really great around things that are unpleasant. Oh, the sensations in my back are unpleasant. There's an unpleasantness to it. Even there's a quality maybe of dukkha. There's even a fight, little fighting to it. But it doesn't seem like awareness is affected by it. Like it knows it, but it's not entangled with it. It sees it, but it, but it doesn't seem to have the flavor of, of unpleasantness to it. It's aware of unpleasantness, but it's not affected by it. And so what analogy is, is, that's given to that is it's kind of like the space in this bowl. So just like the space in the bowl, we can put all kinds of things in this bowl, right? We can put some... Um, you know, some delicious drink, right? Some sparkling water, <laughs> a little bit of taste of tangerine in it. <laughs> or we could put some... Um... Awareness. <laughs> <laughs> You're complicating it now. <laughs> you could put some, like, uh, the thing that comes to mind is another thing we put in there is I used to work on a biodynamic farm with this German farmer, and he loved rancid butter. 
he grew up with rancid butter. So he, he actually grew up on a farm where they didn't have refrigeration. So he was in charge of making the butter. And he always make it rancid, which was gnarly. I have no idea. What, and so there can be even rancid butter in here, right? So even the sparkling water or the rancid butter. And yet, really, the space itself isn't affected by it. The only reason that that stuff can be in there is because of the space. <laughs> it is so true, but then it, it, these things come and go. It's just like the space of the sky. You're ruining my analogy. <laughs> See, this is why you don't want to ask F Q and A because then your your analogies get destroyed. It's okay. It's just like another thing going through the spacious quality of my mind, which is very good. The point is, <laughs> if you can follow this imperfect analogy, is that the space itself isn't, doesn't get affected by it. So there can be sticky, rancid butter in the space, you know, the space, but it, but it doesn't, it doesn't uh, leave the residue of the rancid butter. It just comes and goes like, like the storm cloud in the sky. Or another analogy that's given is, is like a mirror. A mirror can reflect things. It can reflect all different kinds of colors, but it's not tainted by those. So it sees it, but it's not tainted by it. Maybe the mirror is a little bit better. <laughs> Don't think about it too much, though. <laughs> I invite you to, to check it out. To check it out. Sometimes uh, when the mind's not distracted and there's a quality of more openness... I find this easier to contact just in walking meditation. How experience sometimes can feel like it's just moving through the, the, the space-like quality of awareness. Have you ever noticed that? You might have noticed it with what Donald took us through. It's just coming and going. It notices it, but it's not affected by it. And then here, you can get a sense of, this is where just this frame of around awareness, how it can, there's an ease, a kind of freedom that, that can come with this. It's really about, again, going back to the analogy that, that Donald shared with us last night, taking the one seat, watching all the visitors that are coming and going, but staying in the one, the one seat that isn't tainted by all these things, that isn't entangled with them. And then another angle to experience this, this unconfined quality is that it doesn't seem to be confined by what I'd call time. And so I want to be clear about this in a very direct way. It, it doesn't seem to be confined by this characteristics of, of, of things coming and going. So sometimes you can get a sense of this just as I'm speaking right now, if you're listening with your belly button, hopefully, <laughs> is that the sound of my voice, right, it comes and it goes, it arises and passes away. And you can have the sense of really what Donald was really inviting us to do was just do the simple thing of noticing that about, about all kinds of things, that here's the sound of my voice and it goes away. Does, just when you're hanging out, does the quality of presence seem to have that same flavor? The flavor that my voice has, that it comes and it goes. And sometimes you can get a taste of, it seems like it has a different flavor than that. It sees, it knows that things are coming and going, but it might not have the flavor of coming and going. And it can be so immediate, just as you're sitting here listening to the sound of my voice come and go. I 
And uh, Ajahn Mun, who uh, Donald spoke about last night, the the teacher that Ajahn Chah uh, uh, studied under for those three days, since he couldn't study with them any longer than that because of their different orders. Oh, actually, I'm so sorry. This is not from Ajahn Mun. This is from Ajahn Mahabuo, who was another um, student of Ajahn Mun. Actually spent much more than three days with him. And he puts it well. He says, this vanishes, that vanishes, but that which knows they're vanishing really doesn't have this quality of vanishing. Right? This vanishes, that vanishes. But that which knows they're vanishing doesn't vanish. Yeah, and the question is, is in terms of your immediate experience of presence. So we might lose contact with the quality of presence, but when you're checking out, kind of getting right now the immediacy of presence, does it seem to have that flavor? So that's what we're looking for, is just what's going on right now, rather than trying to figure out, again, because I don't know if it actually kind of objectively comes and goes. And I'm, I, what I'm more curious about is touching kind of the quality of the noun of what's going on right now. So again, this is tricky because it can sound like I'm trying to, to propose a metaphysical understanding of awareness. And I'm just inviting you to get a taste of it in, in right now. Because, of, because it can lead to a, a, because of where it leads. Just like that duck to, to, to touch the boundless in some way. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I can think about it and I can think, well, you know, sometimes I'm distracted and then it seems like it goes away. But, but what's going on right now when you touch presence, the quality of presence itself, rather than the extrapolating? Does that make sense? So, so I want to acknowledge this is tricky because we do, we extrapolate and we want to kind of understand it. And I'm, I'm, just, I'm just curious about what's going on right now. That's all. Yeah. I am. Yes, thank you. Yeah, so I'm using so here, here I'm using awareness yeah. as similar as consciousness as similar as presence just in this talk. Yeah. Is it similar or the same as mindfulness? Yeah, that's a different question. <laughs> um, it's it's more fundamental than mindfulness. Mindfulness is something that we're cultivating. Yeah. We cultivate mindfulness and it gets stronger and weaker. And what I'm inviting you to do right now is, is not to, just to be hanging out and listening to my voice right now. You don't need to cultivate mindfulness right now. It's just, just to notice what's going on right now. So, and, and I think when we, this, gets, this practice gets more and more refined, sometimes mindfulness does seem to have a different flavor to it. It's like they partake of the same thing. So they're similar, but, but, but mindfulness does seem to have more of a constructed, cultivated quality to it. And and it's more just resting in something that doesn't seem to have the flavor of cultivation to it. But they are, they're intermingled. Mindfulness is the gateway into this. Yeah. But I, I think that's a more nuanced thing. I think really what we're trying to do is just now just get a taste of it. But it, so I am using these those words a little bit differently. Yeah, I would want to make that distinction. Yeah.
So in terms of this, this quality of uh, the sound of my voice, it comes and goes, but the, uh, but, the, but the presence, the quality of presence right now, or awareness, as you're sitting here, hearing the sound of my voice coming and going, sometimes it doesn't seem like it has that flavor to it. And to touch into that. Another place which I find really helpful to check this out is when you're doing walking meditation. There's a feeling of walking. And it's so interesting. Can you notice that, that you're walking along, but it doesn't feel like awareness itself is moving. The body's moving and you're moving through space, but it doesn't seem like awareness is moving. And so that can be really interesting in that sense. Because here we have this body that seems to be moving through time and space, but, but the presence, the quality of presence doesn't seem to have that flavor to it. Again, it's just something to check out, especially when you're doing, when you're walking around. Just something to become curious about and where it leads. Uh-huh. So when consciousness lands on an object, uh, is it different than, it's objectified, it has a localized. When consciousness doesn't land on an object, then it's not localized. Yeah, when, when, when the Buddha talks about, you know, this language of consciousness landing on an object, you know, the language that the Buddha uses is, is established consciousness, which is different than this consciousness. And it really is, um, it, it's, I mean, actually, we could do a whole week just on just this, 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 the, these words, because there's a lot implied in this that I, that, that I just want to touch upon, but not go too far into, which is, Established consciousness is intertwined with something called nama rupa. And nama rupa, you could say, is the mind's ability to conceptualize. And it says that nama rupa uh, ceases. Actually, the word is naroda, which again can be translated in different ways. One way, I think this is from the translator K.R. Norman, talks about naroda meaning that um, I'm no longer bothered by it. So nama rupa or conceptualization might still be happening, but I'm not lost in it. I'm not entangled in it. So then awareness is happening and even conceptualization can be happening, but I'm not hooked by it. I'm not enchanted by it. And then consciousness is not established. It's not established in the sense of it's not entangled with this reification, this, this, this conceptualization of the world. So we're really talking about going into a space, a non-conceptual space, where concepts still might arise, but, but, but we're, not, we're not hooked by them. And this is, fits into a little bit, which I'm not going to get into so much of what Donald was talking about, which is this, this sense of uh, non, the, the non-dual quality. Because that's what my mind does, is there's an awareness of what's going on, and then what happens is my mind bifurcates experience. You're there and I'm here. And you might notice with this unfindability of, of awakened awareness, it's starting to shake things up a little bit so that we can start to taste this, this unestablished consciousness is another thing that's, that's happening. So th- this is, again, just to fit it in with, this is one different language that you f- hear the Buddha using is, is established consciousness, and it's connected with conceptualization, and then unsupported consciousness, which I'm trying to point to here which is uh, um, uh, this non-conceptual space. 
maybe just oh, just one more thing, and, and, and again, listen with your belly button. <laughs> so important. Again, this this came up in a conversation with someone. Uh, so, so the whole deal that the Buddha's into is that that uh, uh, a common phrase is birth is destroyed and the holy life has been lived. And there's an ending of birth and death. And uh, in some way, uh, this, is, this is tricky because this, this can be misunderstood. So an arhant comes to the end of birth and death, but they still quote unquote die, right? Their body dies. But in some ways, they've entered into a different way of relating to experience. They're no longer hooked by the, the concepts of being born and dying, which is so interesting. And the Buddha really uses this language. So he talks about, uh, uh, what is it, Jaramarana, which is uh, old age, sickness, and death. And so when someone dies in the Pali discourses, they marana. When an arhant dies, they don't marana. He uses a different word. They parenibuti. So even though their, their body has decayed, he doesn't use the word they have died because they've gone beyond that way of looking at the world of things being born and dying. So again, this is really trying to twist, trying to step out of the conceptual world rather than getting to this place where the four great elements cease without remainder or there is nothing happening. So anyway, that's a side note. (laughs) Okay. Sabato Pabam. The last one. Lucid all around is one way of um, uh, translating it. Really, it's just a reinforcement of these other qualities. Lucidity is sometimes connected, or luminosity, with just this knowing, this presence that you can notice right now as I'm speaking to you. And all around, that it's unconfined like the anattam, and that you can't find it like the anadasanam. It is, it, both in Tibetan and, so the, 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 the Tibetan word is osal, and it's um, like uh, Tranga Rinpoche will, will talk about, it really means uh, the awareness that is unconfined, that, that, is, that is unfindable. So you find it, like Petro Rinpoche will use it in the same way. So it's interesting that the luminosity, at least in this specific context, seems to be uh, similar in that way, in terms of that. I think Rumi puts it well of the direction we're trying to go here to ease into the boundless. He says, live in the nowhere that you come from, even though you have an address here. (laughs) So all we're trying to do is to touch, just like the little duck, just to touch this boundless quality, just a moment of it, just to ease into it. And it's tricky because I think while, while the poet was saying, you know, the duck doesn't have much above his head. He doesn't really, she doesn't really think about all this, that little duck. She doesn't think how infinite the ocean is, but she realizes it. she touches it right now. And that's all we're trying to do. We're not here to understand this. We're here to touch it. 
I'm not here to understand the Atlantic Ocean. I'm just here to touch it, just to ease into it. And so what I'm inviting you to do with all this language is to go to a place that you can't understand. So if, if you're finding that you can't understand what I'm talking about, that is a good sign. <laughs> if you understand it, it's bad. <laughs> I'm sorry, one more story. The Zen master I used to work with, this would happen so much with doing koan practice with us. He said, you know, teachers, students would come into me and they, they're, they're crying and they're so desperate and they say, Roshi, I can't understand anything that you're saying. And then he says, or they come in, which is just as bad, and they say, I understand everything that you're saying. <laughs> he says, you need to drop both. <laughs> just do the practice. Just getting a sense of easing into the boundless in this way. Okay, I do want to just mention a couple other things to play around with. I've given you a few things to play around with. And you're walking around, noticing the body moving, and awareness doesn't feel like it's moving. Playing around with right now as you hear the sound of my voice. It sounds like you can hear the sound of my voice. It's coming and going. Presence right now in this moment, not thinking about it or pondering it, might not seem to have that flavor. This clock here, the statue, your cushion, it's, it has a location. Can you notice that it has a location? But awareness doesn't seem to have that. These are some things to, to, to become curious about. Another thing that I'll use is, and I got this from Joseph Goldstein, is, for example, uh, I'll use a label, which I find so helpful. For example, right now, as you're sitting here, hearing is happening. And a great label sometimes to use is, hearing is being known. So sometimes what it does is when I say hearing is being known, it just allows me to rest in the knowing aspect of what's going on right now. Ah, yeah, it's being known. Again, make sure you're not trying to see your own eyes. It's just hearing's being known. And can you get a sense of that when I say that? Just that, just that. That's all we're looking for. Hearing's being known right now, just to acknowledge that and to rest with that before you try to look at your eyes. Just that's enough. That's touching the boundless. To set that in, as, as Donald was saying, short moments, many, many, many times. That's, a, that's enough. That's enough. It's already too much. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so. <laughs> So what can happen with the touching many times, so I'll get really specific about this in terms of what I find helpful is, so like for um, example, let's use this example right now. So you're hearing the sound of my voice and can you just hang out right now and get a sense of hearing as being known and then rest with that. So hearing's being known. And then after a while, what your mind is going to do, what mind, mind starts to do, is it starts to look for it. So when I notice that, then I just go back to samadhi practice. I might, as Donald was saying, I might go back to 
seeing if, if you have a, a, a sense of the three ways of seeing. Sometimes I just go back to samadhi practice. Sometimes I keep it really simple. Go back to the breath for a while. Oh, breathing is being known. And then I don't do anything. Sometimes I even, quote unquote, stop meditating. Can you feel the breath right now? Can you notice that the breathing is being known right now? And then, then pay attention to the breath again. So just give it some space just for a little while and then go back into uh, some practice. Start to do a practice again. Because your mind's going to start to try to do something about it. But that's why the short moments are really good because we get a moment where we're not doing anything. And then what can start to happen is those moments can start to build on one another and they gain a kind of momentum where we can kind of rest longer in that we can ease a little bit farther like the little duck into the boundless. So, but, but, it, but it's really, that's why the short moments many times is really great because then it can start to build on itself. And then, and then, then allowing that to gain momentum. This has, its, in some ways, a life of its own. It's, you just touch in with it and then you trust that this will, will build on its own as, as far as that goes. And then another thing, one last thing, sorry. Don't check. This, this, this was the, the most important thing that a teacher uh, uh, said to me. Don't check to see if this is it or not. So when I say hearing's being known, just rest with that right now. And to be aware the mind says, well, is that it? Is that what they're talking about? <laughs> Forget it. Just, just whatever your experience is, is your experience, and then you move on. It will clarify itself because your mind that's trying to get it is the mind that understands. It's the mind that thinks it can understand how big the Atlantic Ocean is. And that, that checking mind has no idea what we're looking, looking for. It's, it's, it, it's deluded. So our ability to assess this is really tricky because the way we assess is with, with the mind that can't get this. So, to, so just to be aware of checking. Just drop it. So it takes a lot of faith. So um, let's, let's just sit for a moment. So may our exploration of easing into the boundless lead to the liberation of all beings. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.